Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 12. Do you have it? The title of my sermon for tonight is Quit Your Flirting and Help the Hurting. Amen? Quit your flirting and help the hurting. Beginning in verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know. I know you go before me. Why do you think I drove that song home? Bob didn't know that, but I knew who we were going to talk about. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolotians. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Father, I pray that I would be able to uh, expound your word as best as possible as you have given it to me, Lord God, and you would anoint this sermon, Jesus, and we would take heart from your word, ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the beginning of the year, I will be teaching on the seven churches uh, uh, that are found in Revelation. This is not really one of those series, okay? I'm just going to be talking about the church of Pergamum here. But I will be covering in the, in the beginning of the year, uh, 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 you know, on Sundays, and then uh, dealing with the uh, seven churches that God spoke to in the book of Revelation. I will also be teaching on Wednesdays and also sometimes on Sunday evenings dealing with the Lord's Prayer. I'm working on these sermons here already, okay? But today, we'll be able to touch a little bit about the church there in Pergamum. And we've studied these churches before, and we know that God judges churches. He does. To the church in Thyatira, it says, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Hayward, to the church in Manila, to the church in Pergamum, we're going to cover here today. God judges, and He looks at churches. Now, again, I'm going to be dealing with flirting with God as I covered a couple of Sundays ago in the morning. In Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says that Satan lives and he comes but only for a season he he'll leave us satan leaves you bible says in in uh, luke 4 13 but it's only for a season he'll be back sort of like arnold schwarzenegger satan will mess with you and then he'll go away he'll leave you but i'll be back uh, you can count on that jack uh, back to flirt with you again don't go for it remember that we covered that He'll flirt with you. He'll mess with you and see if you're, you'll be enticed. See if he'll take you, you know. And we need to remember that temptation is like marriage. Till death do you part. Don't think the older you get, temptation is not going to mess with you. I'm reminded of the story, and I've said it before, how there was this young man <clears throat> who was going to, to college uh, uh, biblical seminary. Okay, he was going to study the scriptures in a, in a seminary. He'd already been through 
through Bible college. Now he was going to seminary. And there was a seminary teacher that was about 70-some years old. And he really admired this teacher. And he was learning a lot from him. And he wanted to spend time with him. So one day they went to get coffee and donuts at Winchell's. Let's say Winchell's. And as they were coming from the seminary, crossing the street, going across, going the lights there, there was a woman. Like my wife said this morning. You know, and, and they were crossing, and the younger guy, he, he, you know, he rubbernecked. And then he caught himself. Man. And then he said, when they went to go, when they sat down and, and went just to have donuts and coffee, and he, he sat in there, and he knew. He had a stitch on himself. He says, you know what, Professor, I know, man. I know you saw. I know you didn't notice me. He says, man, but, man, I'll be glad when I'm old and I won't be tempted like that anymore. And the professor goes, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, temptation is till the grave. It's till death do you part. If you don't think so, you know, he that thinketh, he standeth, the Bible says, let him watch out because, man, he could fall. You got to be careful. You've heard me sometimes say things behind the pulpit. You probably say, wow, is that Pastor Steve talking? Yes, it is. I'm flesh and blood too. Ah, we got to watch ourselves. See, the enemy is continually looking for an opening in the walls of your heart. He's looking for an opening, always looking for the Achilles heel that you might have, your weaknesses. He's looking for them. And once he spots the holes in your walls, he'll mess with you. Ah, you can count on it. He'll be on you like crazy, always tempting you, messing with you. That's what it been the cause here with the church in Pergamos, in Pergamum, okay? They had some good points, the Bible says, but they also had some walls to mend. They had some weaknesses in their walls. They had also some, some bad areas where they needed to work on. I mean, look at Jimmy Swagger, what happened to him? I mean, this guy thought he was, you know, the, the epitome of the Christian testimony, and look what happened to him. Uh, uh, Jim Baker, these things happen. We need, we've studied about the walls in Jerusalem. They needed mending. And often our own, you know, personal walls need mending as well. Israel mended their walls, the Bible says in Nehemiah, in 52 days because the people had a mind to work. So you need to understand where your weaknesses are, and you can mend them fast within 52 days, or it can take you some, some time. I'm still working on walls in my life, and I've been saved going on 23 years. But if you put them, the Bible says Israel had a mind to work. This evening, if you have some weaknesses in your life and you have a mind to, to work and, and mend those things, you're going to be okay. But have a mind to work. And we, we need to understand that. I've, I mentioned before, every time I, get, I deal with marriage classes, I like to bring out probably the biggest gem that I have found in dealing with marriage. When I talk to people and I teach about marriage, because it happened experientially in my life. The Bible says to confess your faults one to another, that you can be mended, that you can be healed, that you can be touched, that you can be strengthened. And I found that, that scripture out the hard way. Confess your faults. See, I came from the men's home. What my wife was teaching and preaching about here this morning, she got it from me mostly. Uh, I mean, you know, I was the guinea pig, the ex-drug addict, weak guy. And I've often said before, I'm probably the weakest person in this place. Joe Romero thinks he, he was when I used to say this, but no, nah, I don't think that was me. Uh, but his strength was made perfect in my weakness. But I came from the men's home, man, we're, we're bad, oh yeah, man, no, no. I used to say, 
that there was a scripture in the Bible that I used to read, many are called, but few are chosen. I used to tell people, I take that scripture out of the Bible. Because I'm called. I know that. I'm a chosen one. I don't like that verse. Uh, I said, man, uh, you know, I'll never fall. Me and the Apostle Paul will never fall. Well, he's dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had to learn this scripture, confess your faults one to another the hard way. Can I, because, man, I used to, you know, I used to act, you know, oh, yeah, you know, spiritual. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I come from the men's home and, you know, and we're bad. I got promoted. I graduated. I did the whole shot. Uh, but you know what the Bible means by confess your faults? See, if anybody should understand this scripture, it's this church. This church. Of all the victory outreaches, it's this church. And I'm going to tell you why. Because this, even this church almost, even this church almost is built right on the Hayward. Oh, you're getting it. Uh, see, this church has withstood men. It's been here since like 1869, something like that. Uh, this has withstood some stuff. Because it's built right. The foundation is built good. Uh, because if you don't confess your faults, see, if Hayward didn't know that it was built on a fault, every time an earthquake would come, wham, things would come tumbling down because it wasn't built right. We didn't know that there was a fault there. And every time there'd be an earthquake, why are our walls always falling? Why are our buildings always falling? Because they're built on a fault. Confess it. Oh, the San Andreas fault? The Loma Prieta fault? Oh, the your fault? All right, all right, the my fault. Uh, see, now that Hayward knows it's built on a fault, they fortify their buildings. See, and if you think you don't have no faults, that you're Mr. Perfect, you're Mrs. Aka and Aya, and everywhere else, then when the earthquake comes, you ain't going to stand because you did not fortify your life. You lied to your bad old self. That you're bad. You're beyond this. You're, you can handle it. Uh, macho and all that stuff. No. I mean, I learned the hard way. When the earthquake came, whoa, man. I was like this. I mean, the one of the, the earthquake of Loma, that was nothing compared to the one I, I had to live through. I was about like this. You know? And then my wife came and told me, I go, honey, I didn't know. She goes, I knew it all the time. I was just waiting for you to tell me. You know? I said, yeah, you're an exophine, man. Come on. It's easy to style. But I didn't confess it. So I didn't have fortification. You know what I've told my wife? And, and this has given her license to do a number of things dealing with me, but it's okay. But I've told her, honey, if you have to murmur and complain and, 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 and do kick me into heaven, I don't care. Keep me in line. Tell me anything. I don't get on my case no more, and my wife's case no more, when she starts, you know, I don't say, well, be careful, be quiet, vieja. Man, that, that, that's not true. I take it all in now, because I want to get to heaven. And if she sees a fault in me, let me know, because I want to fortify that thing. Most men, we don't do this, guys. We say, shut up. We might not even say, shut up. But we're saying, shut up, by not saying nothing. You know, all right, all right, all right. Ladies, look at me, ladies, especially the married. Don't your husbands do this when you want to try and tell them something? They, they might not tell you, shut up. But they try, oh, yeah, 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 okay, okay, yeah, mm, uh, mm. 
Right, ladies? Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. They change the subject. They change the subject. And we want to know the score of the 49ers. And the women don't care about that. They care about you, Harold. Let's go on. Let's go on. <laughs> but confess your faults, okay? It's good for you. Swallow your cod liver oil. And I, I would dare say, listen, husbands and wives, go home and confess your faults. Confess it. Who, I mean, who, God gave you your wife and your husband. That's the best one. You, we used to think, no, 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 my wife can't find out. My wife has to find out, hombre. She's the one that loves me the most in this planet. She's my friend. She's my confidant. She's the one that I need to dump on first and foremost, even before my pastor. I mean, I'll come in later on. I, I should know because i got to help you. But your wife, your spouse, your, your best friend, they need to know. You need help. Your parents. Your, you know, you've you got to confess to somebody. Confess your faults. Amen? Okay. Verse 12 says, a double-edged sword. See it there? Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It cuts. Matthew 10.34, Jesus says, think not that I came to bring peace to this family, but a sword. A sword. Now, why two edges? With one, it cuts out sin. It separates us from sin. It ushers in salvation. That's what the one edge does. And the second edge, and you need to remember this in Anastasia because I want to bring it out later. The second edge is for judgment. What is the second edge for? Judgment. One gets rid of sin. The other one is for judgment in our lives. See, Pergamum was a church involved with flirting with the world. Not all the members, not everybody, but a faction that was engaged in such behavior. They were flirting with the world. They were probably thinking, well, man, if we do it like this, if we do that, if we, you know, we can grow, we can do this, we can do that. Be careful with growth. Sometimes, yeah, we're going for 700, but hey, sometimes that can usher in the presence of the enemy. Because we'll compromise. Yes, I want to reach 700, but I ain't going to compromise. I'd rather have, you know, 300 strong than 700 mopped. Really? Uh, God knows my heart. The Bible says, test the spirits. See, sometimes people have a, a way of ushering in compromise. That's what the church in Pergamum was doing. And Jesus tells that church, if I cut you off from sin, why are you trying to flirt with it again? Uh, by means of compromising with the world. Verse 13, it commends them. Uh, he says, oh, you have some good parts there. Verse 13, as a matter of fact, let's read it. Let's read verse 13 there. Of Revelations 2. Okay. Do you have it there? It says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Ambitus, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. In other words, it says, he commends them and he blesses them for their works. Faith without works is, is what? Dead. And God understands this. I just had a study and a teaching on Monday with all the leaders from our region. And I said, listen, commend people. Uh, pat them on the back. Love them. Let them know that they're doing a good job. That's what the Spirit of God was doing here with the church. But the church of Pergamon, it had good works. They were alive. They were not dead. 
And these works were done, as I mentioned before, okay, they were, they were done in enemy territory within the red zone. If you're a football fan, you know what I'm talking about. These works were done within the red zone, within the 20-yard line. When you're playing football, can you get inside the enemy's 20-yard line? That's tough ground to cover. And he says, you've done these works not in midfield, not in your own uh, yard line, but you're doing these works where Satan lives, right on the 20-yard line, right on, near the end zone. You're fighting. That's victory outreach. That's us. Ah, so we need to pay attention to a sermon like this. Because, man, we don't, if you belong to Victory Outreach, you know that. I mean, man, I, I feel for some of the girls. They first get saved and they're going to go hit the streets three hours later. They haven't even given them a sandwich yet. Ah, me? Uh, sometimes that happens. By and large, we try and shelter you for the first four hours, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, hey, right away, our church hits the streets. We're out there where Satan's throne is at. Uh, that's what the Bible says here. We do it right in your face, devil. Now, it's difficult, and it's, you know, but man, isn't, doesn't it, those of you that have done works out there in the, in the red zone in the 20-yard line, in between, doesn't it feel good when you see souls saved? When you go out there and see the power of God in action? Say, man, I didn't know it was this easy. But most of us used to live in the red zone anyways ourselves before we were saved. So it's not like we don't know what it is to live inside the 20-yard line. Ah, my God, uh, we come from the inner city, most of us, and Satan's throne. Uh, see, evidently at one time and in one place, the church in Pergamum, you know, it was convenient for the enemy to dwell and to live there. Why? I don't really know. But the, Satan did live there where their church was. There was a church there working for God. Uh, I'm reminded of the scripture, probably one of my top ten scriptures that says in Philippians 4.22, in Philippians 4.22, the whole uh, book of uh, Philippians, Paul is talking about suffering and joy. Suffering and joy. Tribulation and joy. Hard times and peace. Because the church in Ephesus was going through some heavy stuff. Uh, it wasn't easy with what they were doing. Excuse me, in Philippi, in the Philippian church. But then what Paul does at the end of the, 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 the very second of the last verse in Philippians, he says, oh, I know you're having hard. I know that they're cutting some of you in half. I know they're dipping some of you in pitch. I know they're lighting you on fire. I know that you're, you're suffering tribulation. And he says, oh, by the way, the saints of God salute you, church in Philippi, especially those that are of Caesar's household. Uh, in other words, sometimes it's not going to be easy. But Though the church in Pergamum lived in Satan's throne, so do other places, other churches, other ministries, not just Victory Outreach. And, and, and the, the church in Caesar's household, Caesar was Nero. Nero was the worst guy that ever lived on this planet. He'd make Charles Manson look like a Girl Scout selling Girl Scout cookies. You study about Nero, he was the guy. He was, he was crazy. Um, but somebody got saved in his family. Can you imagine having an uncle like Nero? Uh, or let, let's use Charles Manson. He's a nutty guy. Uh, and you're part of his family. You might be here. Yeah, I don't know, you know. Uh, victory outreach. Victory outreach, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> hey, Charlie. Uh, but can you imagine? He's uh, and, and you have to go to dinner and eat at Charles Manson's table. And all of a sudden you're saved. And he hates Christians. Uh, and you got to go eat at his table because, you know, it's Thanksgiving. The whole family's coming over. Uh, there he is, beard and all. 
uh, mocking God. And all of a sudden, you have to say, oh, by the way, Charles, I accepted Christ and I go to Victory Outreach. Huh? Man, he'll mess with you. But it wouldn't be easy. But nevertheless, God raised up Christians in Caesar's household, in Caesar's family. There was people in Caesar's family that said, you know what, Caesar, you might be bad, you might be this, you might be that, you might think you're that, you might, but I don't care. You are not God. I serve Almighty God, and I want you to know, aquí para, quiero que sepas, that's it. I'm going to live for God. I attend on my church, and that's the way it's going to be. I'm going to give my tithes, and I'm going to give pledges. <laughs> and I hope you don't like it. Hallelujah. Now that's getting too much. <laughs> uh, but that's what had happened here. Uh, that's where they had to serve God in such an area, in Satan's throne. The Bay Area is, is, is almost the same thing. I mean, serving God here in the Bay Area is not easy. I mean, Satan's hanging out around it. This might not be his throne, but where else it could be. Uh, if this ain't his throne, man, this is his, you know, this is his hangout. Uh, he's got to have a pad around here someplace. Uh, we're talking Bay Area here. Coakland and all that stuff and Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what I mean? Oakland and San Francisco and all that stuff. I mean, the Satan pays a visit here every now and then. The enemy has a good grip here. But it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and work. And work and do exploits. Bible says there that they held fast his name. Uh, see, the Pergamum church... They took the opportunity to witness. They held fast his name. They had guts. It's like a lot of Victor Arch people. Some of you, I mean, you know what it is to hold fast somebody's name. Some of you tattooed your old lady's name. Mary, queen of my heart. Uh, every time the sun even peeped out, uh, in the middle of December, ooh, it's hot. You took off your shirt to flash. Mary, queen of my heart. Uh, I know who I'm talking to here. Uh, you, you know, you, you'll die for, you know, I'm from A Street, A. You know what it is to hold fast a name? You won't, you won't let down the bandera. You won't let, oh, yeah, man. A lot of us, man, we, we're going to die for a piece of dirt that we don't even own. Uh, somebody else owns it. The Koreans or the Japanese. Somebody, you know, I don't know. Uh, we don't own it. Ay, ay, ay. But we know what it is to make a stand for a, a name. You know, Santa Paula. Uh, or wherever you're from. Sheesh. Uh, well, that's what they got commended for. Listen, turn that around when you get saved and make a stand for Jesus. Uh, like you stand for your neighborhood, stand for Jesus. Now, don't go put no tattoos on, you know, you know Jesus and all that stuff, you know, Vario Victory and all that stuff. Vivi, you know, nombre. Huh? But they were witnessing, and Jesus gives his approval for witnessing. Pass out flyers. Witness to people. There's so much joy in witnessing to people. I'll tell you the truth. I have no greater joy than when I witness to somebody and I see them get saved, touched by the Holy Spirit, and then go on for God. I mean, just to see Brother Mike over here, you know, calling Brother Mike now. Uh, I mean, because I know the family that he married into. 
You know, you should have asked me first. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but they were no worse than mine. You know what I mean? Uh, but, hey, uh, uh, witness, there's no greater joy. No, I mean, I witnessed to a guy in Oakland. Now he's a pastor in Manhattan, New York. Whoo, la la, so soon. Uh, making a stand. It says there they have not denied my faith. It also says that as well. See, the Pergamum people were survivors, not surrenderers. You have not denied my, you've kept the faith. Ah, they were not surrenderers, but survivors. That's why many times, you know, I know what it's like to live on a planet like this and temptations like this, but I often say, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God and I'm going to make it to heaven. Because I am not a surrenderer. I might not win every battle, but I'm going to win the war. I'm going to go to heaven. You're going to see me there. Ah, because I am not a surrenderer. We need to be survivors. Ah, survive long sermons. Let's go on. Ah. See, they could take a punch. They kept the faith. Ah, I mean, you're going to get hit. If you're married, hijo. Uh, I say a big hijo. Singles, you don't know how to say hijo the way it should be said yet. Until you get hitched. Hijo. Uh, especially a lot of us, we're like, oh, yes. And in the beginning, oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, you get married, you come down to earth. I mean, God, in the beginning, when you first get married, you say, did I make a mistake? Did I marry the right one? Everybody goes through that. Everybody goes through that. Every, everybody. Ah, even the cleavers. Ah, leave and cleave. Ah, that's what the Bible says, the cleavers, you know. Ay, ay, ay. I mean, you get like, wow. Hey, once you tie the knot, hold on, that's it, that's it. You, you're married. You're, that's it. You're married. That's it. Ah, for worse or for worse? A few betters. <laughs> uh, you better. <laughs> you better stay. Um, but you're going to have to learn to take a punch, especially people of our caliber. You know, people like, me, boy, if I wasn't saved right now. Uh, I remember Brother Cal when he would preach on this. He was going on to be heaven. He would say, he used to say, man, he said, I feel like asking God for five minutes, five more minutes of just, you know, not being saved. Five minutes, God, I'll be back in five minutes. Uh, I'll show her how to submit. Uh, Ay, ay, ay. Uh, Bruce Lee. Ay, ay, ay. Then verse 14 says, let's go on. It says, but, but. Uh, uh-oh. Here comes the but. Nevertheless, but I have a few things against you, so sit down and don't go nowhere, Matilda. Here we come. Uh, see, remember, no church is perfect. No but. No church is perfect. None. I've said it before. If you think there's any perfect churches, the minute you find it and you join it, it's not perfect no more. Uh, see, a lot of people expect Christians to be perfect. Forget it. I was like that. I really did. Uh, and so I know what it's like when you first get saved. I thought, I thought Christians, you know, for, I, thought that, I thought husbands and wives never kissed. I really did. I thought, man, you know, so how do they reproduce then? Nanu, nanu, or, you know, what? Shish. But I really, I didn't, I, I thought, you know, you're a Christian. I guess, you know, everybody's holy and, you know, just, 
you know, immaculate conceptions. God, that was a good one. You guys didn't like it, huh? I thought that was the way it was all the time. When I first saw Pastor Sonny put his arm around Sister Julie, I go, See, I wasn't ever taught how to be a Christian. I said, oh, my God, the pastors? Hijo. Ah. No, nobody's perfect. Ah. If that was the case, uh, we would only need the cross and not the Spirit of God for forgiveness and to comfort us and to help us. But we need the Spirit of God as well. Then the Bible says here, we're getting close to closing. They had two doctrines that God did not, was not well pleased with. See, churches will always have to some degrees, more or less, okay, a mixture of imperfectness. That, that'll happen. Matter of fact, look at Matthew 13. Let me just show you biblically. There'll always be mixtures of, of good and evil. Job 2.10 says, should I take only the good from God and not the evil? He says, God forbid. Matthew 13. Verses 27 and 30. Do you have it, Matthew 13? Verse 27 says, The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The, the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may cut up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds. And, in other words, there will be wheat and tares in God's house. There will be, you know, perfection and imperfection. And we need to understand that. Uh, I mean, there, no, there's no perfect church. Everybody, man, we get saved and we, we say, ooh, this, is, this, 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 that, and the other is wrong with victory outreach. Yeah, a lot of things are going to be wrong. But don't get all disenchanted or discouraged. Stay here and help us correct that. If you see something wrong, stay here and help us correct it. Don't get all, oh, man, uh, I'm going to go to another church, man, where they're really together. Well, maybe I'll go with you, you know. <laughs> wow, you know. But I, I, we ain't going to find it. I know better. Uh, you're going to have the wheat with the tares. Then it says they had two doctrines. One of them was the doctrine of Balaam. And it's covered in Numbers 22. Chapter 22 to 25, you don't got to turn to it, but that's where it's covered. Okay, it refers to the prophet Balaam. And the bottom line to this dilemma was that Balaam wanted the best of both worlds. It can't be done. You can't help me to keep both my feet inside your door. Did you ever think what that words meant? You thought, wow, I wonder what that means. That sounds weird. How could you write that, Bob? That's what he was talking about. Help me to keep both my feet inside your door. Let my will be yours. That's what it means. Uh, that song, you should be singing, I need your anointing. You're not supposed to be singing as a Christian, the hokey pokey. You ever see us put the hokey pokey up on the, uh, the board here? All right, let's worship the Lord. You put your right foot out, you put your right foot here, you put your right foot out, and you shake it all about in the bars and the parties. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's not what it's all about. Hey! Hey, hey! You're not supposed to do the hokey pokey. Ah, keep both your feet inside the door. 
Sit down and don't go nowhere. Ah. See, Balaam was a hireling. If you study the scriptures, they're in numbers. He was looking for the best offer. What he could get from here, what he could get from there. Uh, he was towing and playing the field. This calls for compromise. And in order to do that, you have to have a few sneaky moves. Trying to lean on your own understanding. Trying to get away with sin. Trying to get away with, with compromise. you got to be sneaky to do that. Uh, I mean, you got to have guts to walk in here and, and you're out there playing the field and doing all that. And then walk into church like... Nobody's in here that was in the bar last night. <sighs> Praise God. Now I got something to worship about. <laughs> See, the church in Pergamum was beginning to allow compromise to creep in. Uh, they had somehow, somewhere, sometime, they had allowed a crack in the door. And the enemy had come in and dealt with the flaws in their walls. The testimony of the church was beginning to be destroyed. We don't want that. We don't want that. See, I know often that people say, Victor Arch is good. They're doing a good work. That's we're getting to But man, especially about our home. They say, man, that Hayward home, it sure is hard. Did he say that there was a new one with a swimming pool? Now let's... Think about this. Let's pray about this. If it's going to be a new home, the director will probably be new. And I can get away with a lot of stuff. And I'll act like if I don't know nothing, it'll be a swim in the park. Uh, and we can start compromising. And all, all, you know, that's what had happened here. Uh, and we, we, man, the Hayward Church, the Hayward, man, they, they want you to be saints. No, you're already a saint. We just want you to do your best for God. That's it. Uh, but hey, you know, like I've said before, you know, when you get saved, you can still do anything you want to. I can do anything I want to. I mentioned it before. Listen, I was a professional at sticking a needle in my, look at this. Can you, some of you can still see my tracks, right? Because, I'm, because it's wintertime <laughs> and I turn like a ghost. Wintertime, I lose all my tan. But, I mean, I know how to do this. I was one of the best on this planet. I used to treat this thing here like if it was my main vein. I know how to fix. I know, what, I know how to do I, I can score. I can go do those things. I can get the cooker. I can put the thing in there. Shh, you know, I know how to beat you for your drugs, but that's another story. I can, you know, get all that stuff, you know. And I know how to do that. But God has changed my want-tos. I don't want to do that no more. I know all that it ensues, all that it involves. I know the madness that, that comes with all this stuff. God has changed my want-tos. I want to come to church. I want to read my Bible. I want to love you the best that God is able for me to do. I want to shepherd you as the best of my ability. God has changed my want-tos. Ah, See, we want to live the whole Bible here. It's important. That's because we can't afford to compromise. Sure, we're not perfect, but we try to keep all the holes mended once we spot them in our walls. See, Christ didn't want the Pergamum church to, to, you know, to mingle with unbelievers because this brought him to where they were going. They, everywhere you go, you take Jesus. 
Wherever you go, you take Jesus with you. If you're a Christian, everywhere you go, you take him with you. Do you think that he enjoys going to bars? Uh, to parties? To, to worldly affairs? No, he hates that. Uh, John 15, 19, it talks about that. You know, we're, we're supposed to hate the things of the world. The world should hate you as a believer. But somehow, and here's the key to the message, somehow the world had been attracted to the church in Pergamum. Somehow the world had been attracted to that church. Uh, when John 15, 19 says the opposite should be the case. They should hate us in a sense. Uh, because of, of our holiness and our separation unto God. I don't mean hate, ooh, no, but you know, they should be like, wow. Uh, but because of the compromise, the world was accepting the church. Uh, and some of the people that were in the church in Pergamum. Somehow the people had become, you know, uh, appealing to the world. Man, listen, and a church like us, we have to be careful. Because we do the shotgun plays and all that, you know, and, and, and the world will be appealed. Oh, yeah. But once they come to the play, they got to know, hey, but hey, you got to get saved. Hey, no, 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 no. That's why, you know what we're doing now we're, with our posters? We're not letting our cast members sign the posters no more. Uh, they're going to sign the posters ahead of time if they want to buy the posters and put them up in their walls. Because, man, after we do the plays, they have a whole line of girls waiting for the guys who sign their, their, their posters. And they're already all mad. He's mine, man. He's mine. After they'll come in here and they'll look for the guy. Ooh, there's Playboy. Ooh. Ah, ooh, look at Ooh, shotgun. Do the boomerang now. Huh? Not uh. We're not going to do that. If other children, it's okay, but I, I want to guard our, our people. Uh, we can't become appealing to, to the world. Hey, we're discipling people here. Uh, well, they got to know that. But it's a great life. It's a great life. It's sacrificial, but it's a good life. And that's what compromise does. Uh, the only way the world would, would marry you or, or go for your con is if you become like them. Because Jesus says in John 15 and 17, the world's supposed to not be, you know, dealing with us like that. The world had come flirting with some of the believers here in the Brigham Church, and like Balaam, they'd sold out. That's what Balaam did. He'd sold out. You have the doctrine of Balaam. It happens today with, with I mean, look at Aretha Franklin, people like that. They, they, they started in church, but they compromise, and eventually they sell out. Man, I mean, I'm taken by, remember the young lady that was here from the, from the group, uh, 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 Nicholas? Remember that we're here? That girl could be big time anywhere. She, she's maybe the best singer I have ever heard. She can flat out wail. Uh, she could sign a contract with MGM, anybody. Uh, but they don't compromise. And that girl can flat out sing. Uh, she may not become famous in the world like, you know, somebody else, but, but hey, when she, she's known in heaven. And I'll tell you something, she's known in hell too, people, because she's won a lot of souls to God's honor and glory. Musicians can sell out. All these different things. Sports figures. Man, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Some of our young people are going to become great individuals in, in, in any field that they will endeavor to, to take up. Some of our kids are going to become major league ball players. That's going to happen here. I'm telling you. Uh, but we got to watch and we got to guard them. Uh, and they got to look out for this thing, man. It, it'll get to their heads. 
and you start compromising. Hmm. Uh, whatever your talent, if you're not dedicated wholly to Jesus, then you've got to look out. Uh, we've got to be careful. Now, the other doctrine, and I'll, this is the second one, and I'll close with this, was immorality, the Nicolotian uh, doctrine. That's what they had. It's immorality. The church was opening itself up by compromising to attract Satan, okay, because they lived near his throne. This doctrine was a self-pleasing one, a self-gratifying doctrine. Christian, it was Christian liberty to the extreme. And it frustrates, the Bible says, the grace of God in a powerful way. See, this is a God-on-a-string kind of a doctrine. You know, just pleasing yourself, leaning on your own understanding. The Bible says in verse 16, it says, if this is the case, then repent. Repent. The way back to where, you know, you got to get back to where God wants you to be. And the way back is through repentance. Ask God to forgive you. See, but these people were flirting with God. Ah, the Spirit of God says be responsible, but they were flirting with the, with, with the world. See, if you're already married to Jesus, then act like you're married ah, to Jesus. Quit flirting with the world. I mean, you're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian then hey, you're married to Jesus. Don't flirt with the world. I mean, you know, it really gets to me, especially when I see, you know, guys that, that they're married already and then they're, they're, they're still around women and all that stuff and they have that thing like, oh, you know, golly, if you're married, don't even, you know, that's your sister, that's it. But some of them, I, I get a kick out of guys that they're already married and when ladies come around, they still have that aura about them like, you know, if you weren't married, I could have you. Oh, no, no. If I wasn't married, I, I, you know, maybe we could have hooked it up, eh? They have that look about them. Sheesh, my God, come on. Ah, kill that thing. Ah, it'll only get you in trouble. Quit flirting and help the hurting. Ah, quit flirting. Cut it out. The two-edged sword, like I talked about earlier, has already cut out your sin. So, if you don't want to feel the other side of the sword, what was it? What was it? Judgment. Uh, then repent. If not, verse 16 says, God will fight you. Can you imagine God fighting us? That's what verse 16 says. He'll fight you. If you don't repent, if you don't get where you're supposed to be, I mean, believe me, you can't beat God. Uh, you can think you do, but you can't. Nobody beats God. See, I certainly don't want to be at war with God. Jesus wants us serious because he's serious. See, I think a lot of church people, they're in Pergamum, they weren't too serious. Uh, they weren't guarding their salvation anymore. Oh, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Guard your salvation. It's precious. It's the most precious gift anyone could receive. Salvation. Guard your anointing. Guard your call. Guard your salvation. Uh, see, I believe some of us here tonight are in the same predicament as the church of Pergamum. We're not taking Christianity and salvation as serious as we were before. Uh, see, your children need the Lord. It's worth living for God just for your children. Uh, man, you've got to grow in, in worshiping God and the Spirit of God. See, many people are struggling today 
And verse 16 tells us why. Because you're fighting with God. Give up. Repent. You cannot win. Then it ends here. My sermon will end with the reward of repentance. There's a reward to repentance. And repentance means a 180 degree turn. You were doing one thing, but you're sorry for what you've done. You're godly sorry, and you repent from it. Quit your flirting. Quit doing, quit all that, you know, and, and, and start making the 180 degree turn and start living for God now. Because there's rewards. Look at the rewards. And I'm going to close with them. It says hidden manna. I'm going to give you hidden manna. It's talking about the Spirit of God. Ah. Uh, we have meat, the Bible says, the world knows not of. They, the world didn't give it to us and the world can't take it away. But the world doesn't understand. Why do you go to church again? Why is all that happening? Well, because I have some hidden manna that you don't even know about. Taste and see the Lord is good. Come on. Ah. See, I've got something the world can't give us. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hidden means it's on the inside. Well, you still look like the same old person. Yeah. But you can't see my inside. It's on the inside. It's hidden manna. Um, it's the Holy Ghost on fire, and it's keeping me alive. Uh, I might look a little bit the same on the outside, but it's on the inside. It's hidden. You can't see it, but I can feel it. Like I've told people before, and I've, I've used this illustration before, when I witness the people... You know, I tell them, they, they say, oh, yeah, well, how do you know there's a God? Prove it to me, eh? And I go, all right, eh? Hey, eh? And they're waiting for a big dissertation, a big, big answer. I tell them, okay, I'm going to prove it to you right now. You are? Oh, yeah. And I tell them, have you ever had a toothache? They go, oh, yeah, gosh, man. Some of them have even had toothaches at that present time. That's the way God does it, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, man, did it, did it hurt? Oh, it killed me, man, wow. I had to go to the dinner, that was bad. And I tell him, oh, yeah, how do I know it? Prove it to me, eh? Uh, the same thing with God. Uh, I'm not saying it's a toothache, but it's something that you only know God could do. Especially people like us that weren't looking for God, that loved to get loaded, that love wouldn't go home till 3.30 in the morning, uh, get up like money in the shotgun play, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we're coming to 7 o'clock prayer. How does he do it? It's on the inside. It's hidden manna. Woke me up this morning and it started me on my way. And I was in my right mind. The Lord is blessing me right now. Ah, well, he woke me up this morning. He started me on my way. The Lord is blessing me right now, right now, right now. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Ask Mike's wife 
And she just knew me from a distance. You, none of you knew me. She heard of me, saw me, and then, but ask her how, how I used to be. There's no way that I would be singing a song. Man, if you could get 10 words out of me that didn't have to do with heroin, you were good. You were, you were great. I wouldn't say nothing to nobody about anything about whatever, the weather, oh yeah, the weather. You know, hey, how's the weather? It was nice weather, huh, Steve? <laughs> you know, every day the same day to me. Sun or cold, everything's the same to me. Uh, but you'd be good if you could get that out of me. But now, sheesh, next Sunday morning, I'm going to sing. Right, Bob? A song that I wrote with the power of God for my beautiful wife. I've already written two songs to my beautiful wife. I'm going to sing next Sunday morning. I was going to sing it this morning, and I thought, man, I was so nervous. I mean, I said, God, let me preach. Me and Vince, you know. Huh? Hallelujah. Where is Vince? I, I, was like, I thought I was going to sing. That's why I sent somebody up to ask Bob, who's singing today? You know, they said, you know, Cecilia, and I go, oh, okay, good, you know. That was harder than preaching. I'll preach, man, I, you know. But singing, I'm going to sing, hijo, you know. But hey, only God could do that. It's hidden man on the inside. Uh, I don't Some of you, you got talent like you wouldn't believe, and you know it. But the only way you come out is through hidden manna. When God gets in there and does something, what's going to make Basti get on that plane? It's not her. She's having mixed emotions. She's having mixed feelings. Um, same thing with Christian. It's the hidden manna that makes you do these things. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Then I'm going to close. I'm getting close to closing. Then it says, a white stone. Uh, remember, doesn't it say that? You know what the stone's for? To show whose you are. I don't know if you noticed today, but I did. I hardly ever noticed jewelry. But the day I noticed my, my wife, you know, because she said the ring, and I go, oh my gosh, she got a big ring. Uh, and I'm the one that bought it for her. But I hardly ever noticed jewelry. So then I noticed the little thing she had on her, right around here. Uh, it's a little thing that I made, and I, I made for her one of her anniversaries many years ago. And it's, it's like, a, it's like a, 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 a triangle, and it says, Jesus. And then with the S here, it says, Steve. And then with the J here, it says, Josie. You know, so it's like, Jesus, because of Jesus, we have Steve and Josie. You know, so she made it into a heart to show who she is. And at the bottom of it, it has the three... Die, three uh, uh, rocks for our three kids, amethyst or whatever it is, you know, from when they were born. That shows who she is. That's what this is talking about. Uh, the, the white stone. Those things show that she's mine. Well, these things show that we belong to God. Uh, I mean, we're God's property. Hook, line, and sinker. The whole kid and caboodle. <laughs> Hallelujah. Finally, I like what verse 13 says, what Bob was talking about. He says, I know. Uh, I know. The Greek word dealing with I know, it's a word not because of observation, but the Greek word I know is because of participation. Listen to me as I close. It has nothing to do with observation. Oh, I know. 
I know because I see you do this. I know. No, no. It's not a word of observation. I know because I see Lenny do this. I, no, it's I know because I am Lenny. I know because I run around with Lenny. I know because I'm there with Lenny. It's not a observing Lenny. It's participating with Lenny. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know what you go through. It's not because I sat in my heavens and I sat up there on the throne just checking you out. It's because one day I came down and I left my throne in glory and I came down as flesh and I walked among men. I came down here and I got good and dirty with you. I heard with you. I went through everything you're going through. I know. Not out of observing, but getting in there. I fought the devil tooth and nail. I know what it takes. I know. I know what you're going through, and I can help you. That's the God that we have. Not out of observation, but participation. He's been to earth. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering. He knows the hurts that some of you have here tonight. Huh? He knows your predicament. The church of per Pergamum lived at Satan's throne. But hey, it's all downhill. Uh, because he understands. But he was standing against the wiles of the enemy. And our God knows what we go through as well. God is trying to tell the church of Pergamum, and he's telling us as well. Wherever I have you, fight. Battle. Don't compromise. Quit your flirting and help the hurting. That's your call, Victory Outreach. Because you know what it's like to hurt. God knows... And we know. We know what it is to hurt like those people out there. We can become very empathetic. Uh, we were not born with a silver spoon in our mouth. Just like God knows, we can represent God great on this planet, especially in the inner cities, because we know what it's like to live in those inner cities. And we can represent God uncompromisingly. Live out the Word of God unadulteratedly as best as possible. Ah, so when the enemy flirts with you, cut him. The temptations are going to be there till death do you part, but don't go for it. It's not going to be easy. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect Christian. But do your best. Hold on to your faith. That's what the church of Pergamum did. Ah, and remember, he'll give you hidden manna, power on the inside. That's how I've made this. I mean, I've lived out this sermon. Because God has lived this sermon out in my life. Like I said before, I'm probably the weakest person on this, in this church. But I still live for God. I serve God. And if I can do it, you can do it. Let him live his life through you. He'll give you the power to say no to sin. And yes to God. I want every head bowed. And every eye closed.